A game of rugby takes 80 minutes. That's 4,800 seconds. But it only takes one to win a scrum, to steal a line out, make a break and score a try. One second for a hero to become a legend, for one team to become champions. And it's their line-out that creates the opportunities to score their tries, and that's exactly what happened. He goes wide, and he finds a winger. Oiderman, he's faster than a bald man's haircut. Oiderman, and he gets the try. What a heartbreaker. Welcome to MLR Kickoff, episode 66, with your hosts, Dan Power and Pete Steinberg. Welcome, folks. Episode 66, we continue to chug along in the MLR podcast world. Dan Power with you, joined as always by the professor, Peter J. Steinberg, who is on the back of celebrating uh, a birthday in the household. Uh, I think 26, 27, Yvonne, right? Is yeah, something there? like that. 26 or 27, yeah. yeah I, think, 20 I think my daughter Penelope, I think, I think my daughter Penelope thought she was nine because nine's really old when you're three. Oh, I miss <laughs> that perspective. I really do. Oh, and we obviously we're talking Houston Sabercats this episode. You cannot talk the Sabercats without the OGMC. I'm talking Sam Windsor, the Queanbeyan Blues legend now, Houston oh, Sabercats stalwart. Queanbeyan Whites, come on. Queanbeyan Whites, mate. Oh, sorry. I'm a, it's a league thing. I can't the Blues are the riffraff across the... Uh, That's across the right. <laughs> the mullet sporting, teeth missing, tattoo wearing, those ones. But Sammy Windsor joins the show. Sammy, great to have you with us. Uh, are you uh, in Houston? I am, yes. Pleasure to be with you guys, as always. Um, in Houston, nice sunny day. We've got a hurricane incoming. Um, so, yeah, not, business as usual in Houston in August, really. <laughs> I, yeah, well, we, we hope you stay safe. I think that the hurricanes are being um, downgraded, right? Yeah, um, yeah, hopefully. I, I mean, by the time this comes out, it'll either be here or have gone already or not even hit. So, um, fortunately, we got the experience of Harvey a few years ago, so we kind of know the process and, and what to do. We're a bit higher up this time, so hopefully out of any flooding danger. Um, stocked up on some supplies on the weekend so we'll just continue uh continue life i'll get a game of golf in this afternoon before the weather comes in and uh everyone will be happy what is it what does a supply kit in the windsor household look like just curious well it's it's probably changed a lot over the last couple of years so the first time funny story actually today's matt and matt Trivel and his wife's mona's anniversary so they got married the weekend that harvey hit and uh, I flew to Seattle for the wedding, but left within 10 hours to come back to Houston because their dog was in, a, in, a, in the kennel. So we had to go pick up their dog. Harvey was obviously being predicted to be the worst hurricane ever, and it was. Um, so Becca was left here on her own. So she went to the stores late, managed to get six bottles of sparkling water, two bottles of wine and a bag of crisps, I think. So <laughs> that was the first hurricane survival kit. Um, and now it's now it's just you know chuck some meat in the freezer, make sure we got enough wine, some beers, wine. Uh, <laughs> a few bottles of water, and uh, and uh, and some snacks to get us through. So um, yeah, it, it's changing, but I think uh, we're well versed in the the protocol. So we'll ration accordingly, and uh, and hopefully come out next week all right. 
Beautiful stuff. Well, we have a big show. We've got a lot of Sabercats on, obviously. Sam, you're going to take care of, obviously, the playing side of things. From the Blaze, we've got JT on yet on and Paul Healy, the head coach down there. So we're going to jump right into it now with JT on yet, the president of the Houston Sabercats. All right, joining us now is the president of the Houston Sabercats, JT on yet. JT, first, mate, thanks a lot for joining the show. How is the extended off-season treating you so far? Yeah, thanks for having me. It's been it's been good. Usually weird, uh, but we're still fully staffed up and just getting extra time to spend uh, getting ready for next year. Before we jump too deep into the Sabercats, you have a history steeped in baseball. Tell us a little bit about your journey, uh, especially in the sporting world and how you ended up with the Houston Sabercats. Yeah, so right out of college, I started working for a San Diego Padres minor league team, the Lake Elsinore Storm in Southern California. And uh, I interned there out of college and spent a few years just kind of learning the, the business of sport and uh, left there in 2013 as an assistant GM and headed out to Houston um, to work for the Sugarland Skeeters. It's an independent minor league baseball team, probably best known for having Roger Clemens pitch for us, um, some other former major leaguers, and then also Tracy McGrady, uh, Hall of Fame basketball player, pitched for us there. Um, after that, I went up to the Dallas area and was the president of the Texas Air Hogs. And then this came up, and it was kind of a perfect opportunity. Um, the Sabercats had been playing some games before Aviva Stadium was built at Constellation Field, which is where the Skeeters play. And so had some mutual um, connections to the Sabercats staff and ownership. And when they were looking for somebody, they reached out, and uh, it was a perfect fit for me just to kind of, kind of broaden – my experiences and see if what we did on a minor league baseball level could work at a major league level. And uh, obviously still just a year into it, but I, I feel like it's working so far. So, so what's been, you know, it's great. I, I was always excited. I was excited to hear you coming on board because I think it's always good to bring sports professionals from other sports into major league rugby. So now you've been here for about a year. What's the same like in terms of like, you know, particularly with working with baseball for Major League Rugby and, and, and what do you see as different? Yeah, so what's the same? I mean, we're all trying to fill stadiums, right? And we're trying to grow the brand. And uh, that's the same no matter what sport you're, you're working in uh, because you're really trying to create the memories for fans. And so whether they're a baseball fan and wanting to bring their kids out to – uh, learn more about the game or just enjoy a night out or they're a rugby fan trying to, you know, get something they don't see every day uh, in America, you know, they're still just looking for what is that memory going to be? And that's something different, obviously for every fan, um, but you can create those memories. So the sales aspect, the sales techniques, all of that stuff is the same. I would say what's different so far um, for me is uh, Rugby fans are very dedicated, and obviously you guys know that, um, but coming in kind of from the outside, um, I've been blown away at the just how into it our fans are, our season ticket holders. Not that baseball doesn't have dedicated season ticket holders, but uh, the rugby family community is very tight-knit, and so that's been a huge positive so far. And then I think you just um, 
there's a lot more accents involved in rugby. So uh, I know, you know there are some there are some great baseball players from like Alabama, Louisiana. I mean, there are some accents down there too, right? <laughs> That's true. You get uh you get different versions of the American uh, accent, but uh, you know I've I've gotten to learn a lot about you know different cultures around the world um, that you know baseball just doesn't have, and so that's been real fun. So so one of the things that you know we've talked about on the show and, and that we hear a lot from um, various MLR executives is that you know there are passionate rugby fans, but the rugby base isn't sufficient right? It isn't sufficient to support Major League Rugby. So what we have to do is we have to grow the, that, that base and we have to attract people, new fans to the sport, people that don't know rugby. Um, how's Houston doing that? I mean, you've got that beautiful stadium. It's sort of a unique part of um, MLR right now in terms of having a custom-built stadium. How are you working to bring new fans um, to Aviva Stadium? Yeah, so people come, obviously everyone has their own reasons for coming, right? And so um, what we've done is on the rugby side, but trying to kind of grow that base is get into schools and working with PE classes at the, at the younger levels and just kind of introducing them to the game because obviously it's, uh, it's a fun game. It's a fast paced. It's, it's everything that uh, some American sports get uh, knocked down for. Um, rugby has the opposite of and kind of the fix for that. So just introducing the game to kids helps, um, but also then creating that atmosphere at the game. And so whether that's bounce houses for the kids, whether that's live music, or we did post-game fireworks and laser light shows last year, um, you know, just really creating that memorable family experience and then letting it grow from there because then you have a great time with your kids. Maybe your kid got to play a game at halftime, um, you know, a kicking challenge or, you know, whatever it is, or they got a t-shirt thrown to them in the stands. Now all of a sudden you've taken that one-time fan that's come out to a game. They've had an individual experience at that game and now they want to come back. They want to tell their friends. So really it's just, you know, almost forget what the sport is. It's about that uh, memory that the people have as when they come to a game. Now, JT, just to go back just a touch, you mentioned Constellation Field. Houston put up huge numbers there in what is now being dubbed the world's longest preseason, 2017, 2018, before season one. I think they had what was close to 10,000 at one game. So there is a, a big fan base there. Have you sort of looked into the research on what happened to those fans and how you can kind of get them back and transfer them down to Aviva Stadium? Yeah, and I think that's going to take, you know, now that we're consistently at Aviva Stadium, um, obviously the first couple of years we, we played between Constellation and then Dyer Stadium at a high school and then, and then got into Aviva. So now that we have home base, obviously we hoped last season would have been more games at Aviva um, than there were, but you know, it's, uh, it's, a, yeah, it's about getting back to those fans and saying, hey, we're here for the long haul, right? This wasn't just a, uh, a fly-by-night one-time thing. You know, what's, gonna, what's, what's it going to take to get you out here on a consistent basis? Um, and there's always that. And obviously winning will help with that, but also just letting them know that, that we're here and that you're always going to have a good time at our games um, will go a long way with that as well.
Yeah, absolutely. And then your role as president, are you got fingers in all aspects of the Sabercats in terms of, so with Paul Healy coming on this year, how was your involvement in that process recruiting Paul to come to the club? Obviously, Justin Fitzpatrick there for the better part of two seasons. Paul Emmerich, interim, had some success. How was that search process finding Paul and what was your involvement with that like? So I came on at the very end of that search process. Um, so by the time I got here, it was down to two or three. And because the ownership group had kind of seen that process from the beginning, uh, for the most part, they handled it. Uh, but once Paul was hired, uh, you know, I do have my fingers in, in all aspects of the business. And so work with him on, on player stuff while letting the experts do what they do. Uh, and that would be him, obviously. Uh, but I am involved on that side as well. As the Houston Sabercats develop, you know, they have the, you, you know, the, this is the longest off season. Dan talked about the longest preseason, right? So, um, you know, the Houston Sabercats, obviously their own stadium, um, very strong ownership group. As you look in this off season, where do you see the Sabercats developing um, in terms of adding new resources, new processes, new support for the team? Um, and, you know, where do you think that's going to give you some advantage on the field in terms of your performance? Yeah, so when, you know, when the season was cut short, um, you know, I told the staff, um, our front office staff, that, hey, this is what's happening. We, we had just told the players as well. And I remember one of our staff members saying, so what does this mean for us? And I said, it means we start getting ready for 2021, right? And uh, you find the positives in the negatives, and, and that is that we have a lot of time. So we've been able to do some things that we probably would have done anyway, but now we have more time to do it. And so one of those is our men's developmental side, Rugby HTX, that we've just started with Paul Emmerich uh, being the head coach of that and Taylor Howden helping out. Uh, so that'll get some more uh, young guys into the pathway and and help the Sabercats long, long term. Um, but also we've just been able to do some cool community initiatives. We just started a virtual learning with all the schools that, you know, a lot of schools are doing Zoom classes and that's easy. Well, that's not easy, but it's doable for math, English, science, but how do you do PE, right? And so we've gone to all the school districts and says, and said, let us help you with PE. And we can kind of virtually present what is rugby. Here's some rugby skills that you can do at home. Um, you know, here's a history of the game and all of that. And so we've really been able to kind of increase our, our foothold here in Houston that'll help us both on the field when it comes to like HTX and all of that, but also off the field and in the community with the, uh, the virtual learning. Well, that's, uh, Sorry, Pete. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I've, I, I've one more question because this is something that I think you know, one of the most exciting parts of what's going on in Houston is the, the Aviva Stadium is built, it's beautiful, but it's actually designed to grow, right? Mm -hmm. So, so it, it can have second tiers, it could really, um, you know, grow. What's the, what's the plan for the development of that stadium? Um, like, what's the timeline? When do you think you're going to be getting 5,000, 6,000, 7,000 people in the stands on a regular basis? Yeah, so when I, 
was interviewing for the job. And when I came down to Aviva Stadium and we were walking around, they told me all about that, you know, the kind of the pathway to, to make it bigger and to expand. And ownership was like, let's start, obviously sell it out first, right? Let's consistently put those numbers in here where it's full and then we can add. Um, you know, obviously it's, it's going to take time, um, but I think we're on the right track. I think, you know, if we spend this off season the way we've been spending it, um, next year we see bigger crowds and then maybe one or two more years where, you know, we've done such a good job of kind of getting involved in the community and, and growing the game of rugby in Houston that uh, we are filling up, you know, all the time. And then at that point, Hey, it makes sense for us to expand. It makes sense for us to add suites and add extra seats. Uh, then we'll do that. So I think it's more probably um, numbers based than a timeline per se in the calendar, but it's definitely out there. It's possible. Uh, now we just have to put butts in the seats. JT, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to finish with a real tough one, mate. This is going to be the hardest one you're probably going to face <laughs> in your Sabercats career. Uh, you have the pleasure or displeasure of working with Sam Windsor, who's on the show with us today. Um, he's being called a dictator, a tyrant, a warlord, if you will. Uh, how, how challenging is it working with a personality like Sam, not only in the office, but financially because he takes up half the salary cap? Yeah, you know, I just make sure his coffee's hot. Um, you know, but not too hot for him. Uh, make sure everything's right in his office area. Uh, take him to play golf every once in a while. And, and he seems Every once like in a while? I think, doesn't he golf every day? You must only, only go with him occasionally. Yeah, he does. Uh, <laughs> when I started playing with Sam, we were probably about equal. Maybe he had me better by like a shot or two. Um, but now he, he probably beats me by 10 to 15. And I'm like, Sam, it's because you play every day. I play once a month, once every, you know, six weeks. Um, but Sam gets to play. Sam plays a lot. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's been great. It's great dealing with Sam. Um, you know, having him here all year uh, really helps me on the rugby side and uh, just a good guy to be around, too. We've actually as started long as his working with warm. him as well. Yeah, I've noticed that. I mean, it's a... It's a <laughs> It's like a, a summer storm with him, isn't it? It just looks all non-threatening. Then those dark clouds start rolling in and then Sam Windsor, tropical storm turns into, uh, into the, the hurricane. Sam Windsor, next thing you know, bam, you're in trouble. Yeah, we've got enough hurricanes here. So we, uh, we don't need another one. We keep them happy. Well, beautiful, JT. I know you've got a busy off-season ahead of you still as we look forward to 2021. Good luck with... Uh, Filling that beautiful stadium, we were uh, lucky to get down there twice this year. I think Pete and I were there for the New York game and they did uh, the opening game, the win over Colorado as well. So things look fantastic down there. You've got a, a great uh, setup and obviously a great support in the Houston community. So excited to see the Sabercats get back on top here. Yeah, thanks, guys. Look forward to 2021. There you have it. Pete, uh, you're a big fan of this signing, uh, we were looking about 16 months ago now, maybe a little longer, uh, when JT was announced. Just that sports background, the American sports landscape, it, a wealth of knowledge he brings from minor league sports into, into major league rugby. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I think if you're actually looking at um, an equivalent for major league rugby in terms of um, the challenges that you face, I think minor league baseball, and in particular, independent minor league baseball, is probably a pretty good 
um, analogy. You've got to build a brand. You've got to get new fans. You've got to get them to the stadium. Um, and I think all of those things of what JT has done, I think he's, uh, um, you know, I think bringing people in with professional sports um, backgrounds in the US is great. Although, you know, ribbing, um, you know, our co-host, Sam Windsor, for golfing too much, I thought was pretty harsh. Well, it's great that he Apparently said he's going to well, golf in a hurricane as well. He goes, I'll just give game gaming for the hurricane hit. So. Seven days a week. Seven days a week, Sam. JT, JT says of it. I'm pretty sure he was in my foursome last week on a Friday we were playing. To be fair, he said that, um, that before the lockdown, he said that you guys were probably within a couple of strokes with each other. But since your enhanced gameplay over the last few months that you pulled away from it, is that fair? Or was he never? Really- uh, no, JT. Yeah, JT is a good golfer. He's uh, he grew up on a golf course in California. He played a fair bit as a kid, so he knows how to swing the club. And he's a competitive bloke, which is great. Um, Said fifteen strokes. It depends. It, it depends the the day really that you get me on. Sometimes I'm hot, sometimes I'm not. So the back nine ate me up last week when we played, and I think that brought JT a little bit closer. But uh, I mean, that's that's fair to say because I have played a fair bit. But I'm getting my work done. I'm training. I'm achieving what he's asked me to do. So, hey, if I wasn't doing that, then he'd have every every right to be maybe a little bit annoyed at me. But um, JT's been great for the organisation. It wasn't an easy role, I don't think, for him to come in and, and take over, you know, a fledgling organisation in a fledgling league. So, Dan touched on the experience of, you know, minor league baseball. And I think that my, for people that know a bit about minor league baseball is there is a kind of like a subtle humor between owners and presidents and their marketing teams and, and a lot of the things they do on game night and and between the teams to kind of I guess throw jabs at each other is quite funny and quite humorous so JT's kind of brought that side of things to our our organization as well and tried to make it light-hearted trying to attract a new crowd and people who might you know flick through or scroll past some some certain posts so um, really like what he's doing um, he's built a great team around him uh, in the marketing department, the ticketing department. And yeah, obviously COVID's thrown a spanner in the works, but that hasn't stopped us selling tickets and marketing 2021 and, and, and using the Aviva Stadium as, as rest as we can to fill it up and, and put on great shows and entertaining evenings for, for everyone. Yeah, beautiful stuff. Beautiful stuff. Obviously the rivalry with uh, Austin and Dallas as well. It'll be a, a lot of fun jabs. He was, he, that week, so that week... Uh, Matt Burgess, I think, uh, at, at the Gilgronies, basically organised a halftime entertainment at our game, which was quite funny. So <laughs> JT was a little worried about that, but it involved being chased by a canine unit dog. And JT, I've never really seen him nervous except for that week when he was like, listen, you guys just just be winning at halftime, please, because I don't want to be running 80 metres down the field being chased by a German shepherd. Uh, so fortunately, we were up at halftime, um, but then they obviously got the bragging rights after that. Yeah, they did. It was an up and down year and we're going to jump over to Paul Healy now and talk to him a little bit about the season that was uh, obviously abbreviated. So challenges in that as well, uh, but we'll also look forward to 2021. So let's jump over to Brisbane, Australia now to check in with Paul Healy, head coach of the Sabercats. And we are joined now by Sabercats head coach Paul Healy. Heels calling all the way from sunny Brisbane, Australia and... Uh, the gods are smiling on God's country down there. Beautiful day in Brisbane for you. Yes, Dan. Yeah, thanks for having me, boys. Um, yeah, it's uh, 
it's funny circumstances we're in, but uh, you just got to move on and deal with what we've got. And as as we spoke about before, we're pretty lucky here in sunny Queensland that one is the virus has been fairly well controlled. And uh, you know, I forgot how good the winter's days are here. And in, in some in winter time, it's almost you know 25 or 26 degrees Celsius, and the sun's shining. And maybe we should be out playing golf. But anyway. Well, that's actually where I grew up. I was in, in Brisbane. I remember in my, uh, my time playing over in France, I got a big, heavy jacket for the winters over there. And all I wanted to do was wear it when I got back to Australia, but I couldn't find a day cold enough. <laughs> Unless you went down south. So, yeah, no, it's pretty good, Dan. So, look, all things being equal with what's happening in the world at the moment, um, yeah, we're pretty good here. So. Well, an illustrious coaching career. I'm sure you never thought at some stage you'd be coaching through a global pandemic. But uh, <laughs> well, I can definitely find a, a speed bump to get over there, you know. So. Yeah. But small sample size with Houston so far. Let's just kind of talk a little bit about 2020. I know it was just five games. Houston, they win their opening game against Colorado. Heartbreak in Vegas against Toronto. And then things kind of get a little wayward with old glory. Austin, and uh, I'm forgetting one team that you played against as well. Um, it was that fifth game? New York. I actually New called York. that game. Yeah. I probably should know that. Yeah, I think but, we had a chat too. So yeah, that was about coffee. But we'll get we'll get into coffee a little later. But <laughs> in that small sample size, what did you see from Houston for your first season there? Oh, look, I was, look, whilst we were disappointed, you know, a couple of those other games, Dan, we, we, we were in front at half time and we, we let it slip in the second half, and which is disappointing. But as you said, you know, we won the first game against Colorado and, and um, then, you know, maybe we should have won that game against Toronto after the full-time hooter, but we really weren't, we didn't put ourselves in a good position at the start. So, you know, if you're honest, we probably didn't really deserve the win, but it was exciting for everybody, I guess, and especially in Las Vegas. But look, um, uh, you know, out of 10, probably a six or seven for, for the first season, even though it was a shortened season. We uh, we had a lot of new guys, as we spoke about, and um, and obviously me coming in and changing systems and, and bringing in a very, very good head of performance. Um, there was always going to be you know, some, some downtime there to, to recharge and, and look at different things. And, and I think uh, towards the end there, like we were supposed to go up to Boston and we were really working hard in those last couple of weeks and, and a lot of things were coming together. And I know that's a cliche, but at the end of the day, uh, yeah, to answer your question, probably around a six or a seven, I guess. Now, looking at what you saw in that you know, five-game stretch, what would Paul Healy today go back and tell Paul Healy day one at the Sabercats? Um, that's a hard question. Um, I, oh, I, look, I got all I, the hard hitting ones. Yeah, I don't think, look, to be honest, Dan, I don't think I'd do too much different. Um, we set in a lot, of, uh, a lot of protocols and a lot of things that we wanted from players on and off the field. And, you know, our staff was all gelling together and the, and the management had been fantastic. So... Look, I, I was, I probably wouldn't change much really. You know, obviously there was maybe some different things you'd do with training and stuff like that, but that was always going to be work in progress. And we definitely said uh, openly that whatever we did in the first year, we'll be far, far better off into the second season and the third season. So, um, you know, no, 
Not too much, really. Let's talk a little bit about your philosophies in coaching. Obviously, you've had a lot of experience, not just at top level, but also in developmental rugby as well, which kind of fits the mould of where Major League Rugby is at right now, right? Mm. Developmental league with some high-class players and you know, a lot of mid-tier players as well. Yeah. Where, where do your philosophies kind of evolve now that you've got a chance to look at Major League Rugby and what are you looking to imprint on Houston in particular with those philosophies for 2021? Oh, look, Dan, I, you know, I want us to play... I like teams that I with to, to play a, 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 an open-style rugby but also be able to play... To, to to adapt, you know, to different uh, situations and have confidence to have confidence to to uh, you know uh, play well, the best, be the best you can, you know. And and the other philosophy is, is you've got to enjoy it whilst you put in the work. And the boys did work very hard this off season and during the season. You've got to also enjoy it, and and you know, I also like to develop guys. As men, and and you know, you, it's it's an old cliche, I guess, but we we like to see guys, whilst they're good players on the field, to be good players off the field and set themselves up through life like that. And um, I guess with the development side, uh, I came into Houston there, and there was a lot of a fair few younger guys, younger American guys, and and I just sat down with them and said, where do you want to be in, in three years' time? And, and you know, the answers they gave me were pretty good. And, and they played really well for us. So I guess, I guess my philosophy is use the experience guys you've got, put in a very simple game plan that people can understand, but also be flexible to be able to change that and then just have guys working hard for each other. Yeah, we, we talked a little bit before and you're saying roughly 75% of your roster was inherited. You didn't have your fingerprints on that. How was mm. how that transition for you going from a typical coaching role where you're picking your squad to, hey, I've got to get to know this guy first and then I can start coaching as well? How was that transition for you? Yeah, oh, look, I, I actually quite enjoyed it, to be honest. I, I think um, one of my strengths as a coach and as a person, I've got strong people skills. So... Um, as I've developed over the years, I've, I've obviously learned to be more patient and, and, and listen to people a lot better. And that's probably one of the skills that I, uh, I have. And, um, yeah, look, you, you pick a leader. We had a great leadership group, a lot of experienced guys and, and, and a lot of guys that, that have been there for a while. And that was part of our plan. And we also tried to mix our leadership group up by not all foreign guys. We wanted to mix some of the the American domestic guys in, I think that really worked well for us. And then obviously, yeah, we, you've got to pick the right captain for the squad. And um, yeah, it was, you know, to be honest, it's been, it's been an enjoyable experience and um, moving forward that, you know, that's probably, we'll go that way again next year. And um, just getting guys to, to, we built the culture around the team and around the, the, the people we had and, you know, we had a really good culture. I believe that a lot of guys that were there wanted to be there for the right reasons. Now, out of that group that you inherited, who jumped out to you this year in those five games? Was there a player that you, you weren't aware of coming in that you've really come to, you know, for lack of a better term, really fall in love with during your yeah. time at Houston? <laughs> a bit of bromance, yeah. yeah. No. Um, look, there's a, there's a couple of good stories. And, and Val Leleo, the, the, the loose head prop, mate, what an, an outstanding human being and, and where, he, where he got to from where he came from with his injuries and all that, it, it was just, um, 
for me, that was what he, he stood out for that reason. Great team guy as well and, and never let you down. But as I said, you probably know the story through his injuries and his knee and he's just really worked hard. He had a goal in mind and, 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 he, and he got to where he wanted to be, you know. Um, you know, there's a few other guys. Sam, Sam just keeps on keeping on and he's a guy that brings a lot of experience and a lot of leadership. And obviously you had the, we had the vet. We were lucky we had the vet. Was a very good captain on the field. Um, look, I, I could, you know, I could say good things about everybody, but if you isolate one person, you know, for me and the coaching staff, which we spoke about a lot, was uh, was Val. Yeah, what a what a story! Because I I called him in 2016 in the first reiteration of professional rugby here. Then he just went into the wilderness. But I mm. watching those early games, I had you guys twice this year. I'm like, wow, this is. From this kind of layoff with this injury, you give him 12 months, this guy's got to be on the radar of Gary Gold and the Eagles at this point. Yeah. Oh, he was your best forward for some of those early games. Uh, 100%, Dan. And, you know, and as I said, he's, he's not only, he not only put in on the field, he put in off the field and was great around the group. And, and we had some experienced guys there too. So um, that, was, that was a real highlight for me. And, and, you know, not that I take out highlights like that, but, you know, in an isolated situation, as you said, uh, a guy like Val really stood out, you know, and, and there was a few other guys there, but um, uh, he, he, was, he was probably the standout. I'd be remiss if I neglected a question from my, uh, my, my partner, Pete Steinberg. He's actually with his wife, Yvonne, celebrating her birthday. I think it's 26 or 27. I'm not sure. I have to ask her later. But he <laughs> wants to know where you yeah. see the biggest opportunity for improvement in Major League Rugby for the players. Well... Uh, I think that if we keep going the way we're going, Major League Rugby it will improve out of sight because of the fact of you have got a certain amount of foreigners. But, you know, I think the, the major improvement needs to be obviously in the development of those domestic guys. Because getting to the point, I guess, where I was in Spain a while back and they only had, you could only have seven foreigners on the field or in your squad at, at the one time. And then that forced the Spanish Rugby Union then to develop those younger guys, which they did. And I think if you look back now, they're in a, they're in a really good position, not only in 15s, but also in their sevens programs. So I guess, you know, that sort of competition now has elevated the level of where, you know, the guys coming out of the draft and going to college and coming through the system need to, need to project themselves to. So I think if we continue on that way, and obviously the underpinning development programs through the USA Rugby, um, I think it's definitely going in the right direction. I think the MLR set a great precedence uh, with what happened with the lockdown and with the virus and, and decided to um, honour everything that they uh, promised the players and I think that put them in good stead globally in rugby because the people now are aware that this competition is serious. There's serious players, there's serious uh, people coming into, into the system. And yeah, look, I just think a little bit more exposure and a little bit more development in the, in the, in the, in the, lower, the lower echelons moving through um, will we'll, we'll de we'll develop the rugby here. Like, you know, I, I guess you know that rugby HTX in Houston now is a new, a new academy going forward. And I believe uh, six or seven of, of the other MLR teams have, have got, got these types of uh, academies. So 
look, they're definitely going in the right way and get the right people pushing the right buttons. Then, you know, I think, as I said, it's, um, it's on the up. Yeah, I agree. The academy thing's exciting, isn't it? Just having the it is, mate. To... And you know, the college draft and all that. I think, um, you know, we, I guess a lot of people will have learned some lessons or some more or better ideas to how that could work next year and and, and and improve that system. I guess. But look, it's it's you know, unfortunately, what you're doing, Dan, is as you will know, you're getting kids. Well, they're not kids anymore. You call them kids, but you know, here in Australia, you're getting a you, you're developing a guy from 13, 14, 15 and tracking that progress. Whereas in the States, you're getting a kid out of college, you know, take Connor Mooningham, for example, he's 24 years old. Yeah. 24. And, and he was the number one draft pick and, and played, you know, played limited rugby in the context of someone, you know, that started when they're 13 or 14. So if you can, you know, go back five or six years and do something in that period of time, and you're getting a guy like Connor Mooningham and these guys who are probably maybe 20, 21 and ready to play MLR and then ready to play for the USA, you know? So yeah. it's an interesting concept, but I think, as I said, you know, there's the right people in the right positions are taking it forward and um, the, the, the more exposure they're getting and the, the, the bigger rugby's going to become. You know? Yeah, and then it's, it's, it's such a noisy landscape sports here with so many sports... You know, yeah. taking for attention. I think once parents kind of see the culture of rugby and the benefits it can have for their sons and daughters, mm. I think it accelerates even further. Yeah, but you've got to have those pieces in place, right? You've got to have you do, Dan, a junior yeah. rugby for them to go to. You can't just say, oh, this game's great, but there's nowhere for me to sign up for 100 miles. So. No, that's right. Yeah, and I guess that that's, the, that's been the mandate with the Houston, with the, the academy stuff and, and the junior stuff that the players do and... You know, now we've got Taylor Howden going into schools and things like that. So you're getting them young enough to, to get interest. And then if they want to pursue something, you, you've actually got a, a facility there for them to be able to do that, jump into, because, you know, not everyone can play NFL or, or NBA or, or they can't be baseball players. There's got to be some sort of, you know, secondary development area where you can actually, you know, develop these kids and move them forward and, as I said, the unfortunate part about it is you're getting them when they're 20, 21, 22, because they've, they've taken the pathway of, of getting a, a degree or things like that. So look, I don't know the answer to that question, but I think, as I said, you know, to be honest, from what I've seen in a short space of time, um, the MLR are definitely on the right train. All right, let's get the rumour mill fired up here. Let's get the uh, TMZs of the world fired up. I've given you a, a blank check. You've got a San Diego Legion-style salary cap, so you can spend whatever you want on whoever you want. One player that you could go out and sign tomorrow and bring to Houston, who would it be? Um, that's a tough question, mate. Um, I don't really know. See, I, tell you, I watched James O'Connor for the Reds against yeah. the Force. He looks like he's made a bit of resurgence. He looked good. He, he's come back a little bit. Obviously, look, you know, the, 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 they talk about the spine in rugby league and things like that. But, you know, you definitely you definitely need a good tight head prop. You need a good lock, a good halfback, a good 10 and a good 15. So, um, yeah, look, I, I, I don't know, mate. I'm happy with what I've got. That was great. That was great. 
Now, I'm happy with what I got, and I, mate, I, I didn't know San Diego had the biggest budget because I thought it was it was uh, there was a salary cap, you know. Well, that's that's it's, uh, what is it? The salary sombrero they've got now. It's a little little bit bigger than a normal cap, but um, yeah. just just jokes, yeah. Pato. Don't come after me. I don't need that. <laughs> yeah, look, yeah, it's it's an interesting question, and you know you'd have to think about it. But as I said, if you were uh, those five positions, you'd probably you'd look at you know signing at least two good ones. Like obviously San Diego now got Rob Shaw, and they've got Ma Nonu, and they bring a lot of experience and and things like that. But you know. Uh, it probably I'd probably look more for a younger person to give you some longevity because the fact a lot of these guys are, are signing like Adam Ashley Cooper and Ma Nonu and, and Rob Shaw and these guys, fantastic players in their own right. But they they are getting older and it's 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 you know, must be difficult for them to back up week in, week out from where they've been and um you know, so look I, I would you know, to answer your question, I'd probably go for a, a young a younger type guy like a big second rower, your South African second rower, or something like that. You know, I'm trying to get you to sign a fly half so I can steal Sam every weekend, so I can sit next to him. <laughs> can't can't escape me. Uh, yeah, good luck with that. All right, all right, heels. We'll let you go. Enjoy that lovely winter's day. Um, I'll give you a couple of fishing spots after if you want. I don't know if you're much a fisherman, but it nah. used to be my stomping. I'm more of a golfer, mate. So, well, quickly, um, what's your course? What's your course in Brisbane? What's the best track Virginia. to play? Virginia Golf Course. Yeah, I've played that one. Yeah, near Nutshell. Um, but uh, I've got a long way to go, mate, just because I'm back home and I've got a couple of days a week off doesn't mean my golf's getting any better. Oh, hopefully uh, get you back into Houston playing some of the courses there as well. Yeah, I'm looking forward to come back. I really, I really, you know, looking forward to, to, to finishing off what we did and starting again next year and... Um, will definitely be a different a different team next year. Yeah, looking forward to it. I, mean, I like the signings that you've already announced. I know there's a couple more to come. Uh, exciting yeah. times down in Houston and uh, looking forward to getting back down there. And we'll get in, uh, stuck into your coffee stash again. <laughs> Thanks, Dan. Appreciate Thanks. it, mate. Thanks, Heels. Champion. Hello, mate. Bye. All right, Paul Healy. I'll go to you first, Sam. Obviously, uh, we'll say third head coach. You had Justin Fitzpatrick for the inaugural season and some change. Paul yep. Emmerich takes the interim role and now Paul Healy. How's the transition been for you personally going through those, uh, those coaching changes in Houston? Yeah, so I've had, I guess, a different role with all three coaches. So when Fitzy was in charge, I was the backs coach um, and worked quite closely with him and, and Matty Truvel to plan sessions, plan the way we played, uh, as well as all the other duties that I was kind of shouldering. Um, and then when, when Fitzy left and, and Paul came in, Emmerich, it was just play. Listen, we don't need you to, to do everything you've been doing because it's taken away from the way, the way you prepare, the way you play uh, and those responsibilities. So that was great. You know, that last five, six game stretch uh, last season um, for me was great fun because I had that, you know, I didn't have the responsibilities that I probably had for the 18 months prior. So that was, that was good for me to get back to enjoying playing, being around the boys and not having much of impact uh, in the preparation side. Uh, and then that kind of continued on with, with Heels, um, working sort of in the back office with JT and Paul and Marty, the owners in, in some of the recruitment phases and stuff, obviously became quite close with Paul and was able to guide him through the terrain of the Sabercats and you know where we are now really. So I've been able to, again, focus on playing, not have to worry about planning sessions, 
uh, game plans and whatnot. So, uh, yeah, it's been, a, I mean, an interesting three years for sure. But, um, you know, the last five, six games with Paul and the season that we were kind of putting together, I think was the most exciting one and the one with the most potential. And it was a shame that it got abruptly shut down. So you've been on this show um, uh, a couple of to- a couple of times. So we're not going to go through your background, but it's interesting to me that you're here and you're talking about well, you're doing some work in the back office, right, with GT, and you've got some roles there, and you also were an assistant coach for the first eighteen months. Like as someone who you know wants to play a few more years, but yeah. probably is thinking about what's next. Is what is what's next for you? Is that in rugby? Is that where you see it? And do you see it on the field or do you see it off the field? I think, uh, I mean, it'd be silly if I was to go elsewhere as soon as I finish playing. I've got the experience, you know, of playing around the world, uh, playing in different professional uh, competitions for different teams that are run differently. Uh, so, you know, I, I think I have four or five years ago, coaching was probably where I thought I'd, I'd be quite, you know, I'd enjoy it. But then having the experience here might have um, sort of tarnished that a little bit. So, um, yeah, being involved off the field and in the office and, and with certain or different areas of the organization have kind of led me down a different path, which I think I could be quite effective and, um, and add some value to uh, rugby in the States. You know, we're still growing. Um, we've still got a lot of work to do, but I think obviously the potential is, is, is limitless in this country with the athletes we have, uh, the marketing opportunities, the commercial opportunities, uh, and then the league growing year after year. So uh, for now, where I'm the position I'm in, obviously I want to play for as long as I can, as well as I can. Um, I don't want to be that guy that's hanging around being told to give it up and, and kind of clawing onto a Jersey, whether it's 10 or 23 or 22, whatever it might be. Um, so if that's one more year and my body says, no, that's it. Great. If it's two more years, three more years, then, then great. You know, I'm in a good position. I've been doing that work. I've been looking after myself. Um, and then I'll, and then I'll look to, to transition to off the field. So, it's, a, it's an interesting predicament for me um, and I've sort of been thinking a little, a lot about it lately, I guess, in terms of, you know, how much is it going to impact my relationship with my teammates? And I think that's the most important relationship to have um, as a fly half, as a rugby player and someone who might have a dual role with an organisation is having the trust of your teammates is, is paramount and having them on your side and being able to communicate with you, trust you. Uh, and enjoy being around you without worrying about what might be going on behind the behind the scenes is is paramount to me and something that I think I'll look to put more of an emphasis on this year and this season and ensuring that um, yeah when we when we cross that white line that there's we can all band together and, and put in good performances and not sort of have an overhanging cloud if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, what I would say about coaching for you, Sam, is don't don't quite like um, kick it to the curb yet. Coaching isn't fun when you don't win. So, so like, it doesn't really matter, like, how good a coach you are, what your coaching experience is. It's not fun when you don't win. Um, and so, you know, just as a, as a, as, as someone who's been down that path, keep, keep that door open, you know, off the field stuff is, is great too. So let's talk about sort of next year for the, for the Sabercats, you know, like you said, you've, you've built, you've created a good relationship with, with Paul. Yep. Where do you, like, where do you see the improvements happening next year? For the Sabercats, like like um, both in terms of personnel, like if there've been upgrades, or also in terms of like how you want to play and maybe yep. some of the other players and who can come through. I think for us, we had you know taking out a few of the older players. We had a relatively young squad last year. Um, we didn't have a lot of depth across the board 
um, of experienced players. I'm not going to say quality because all of our players were there for a reason and they're all good players in their own right. But we didn't quite have the 25, 26 players who have professional rugby experience or, or high-level experience to kind of rely on and chop and change and and, uh, and replace, you know, week after week. So um, we've added some experience uh, across the board. Uh, I think uh, I've been given the okay to announce a few of the players. Uh, an inside centre, Moa Maliepo, is a New Zealand Tongan, and he was capped for Romania earlier this year in the Six Nations B tournament. Um, so a guy with great handling skills uh, and can also crack the line. Uh, so, you know, someone that can add a different dimension to the midfield, not only be a battering ram, but also, you know, have the skills to get the ball out wide uh, and feed some of the pace uh, that we have and we're going to be acquiring over the next next few weeks uh, to months. And then uh, Apisai Teavutha is a lock back rower, Fijian guy who's been playing at Zebra for the last couple of seasons, played for the Warriors, played for the Drua. Um, skillful Fijian lock. We see there's plenty of, plenty of guys rattling around Europe at the moment with some unbelievable handling skills and, and attacking prowess. So he's going to add a different dimension to our, our tight five or our back, our back, uh, back three, if you like, um, in terms of what he will add in the line out and around the field. Um, and then a prop, you know, you can't have good set piece if you haven't got a strong scrum. So we've added another, another prop, um, Nikolos Kadiashvili, Georgian prop, played for Georgia nice a few years. Nice work. I've been practicing. Um, uh, played for Georgia, cap for Georgia in 2015. And then he's played uh, some pro and and um, more recently for NSI uh, STM in the, in the Russian Premier League. Um, Georgian props, you know, they're world renowned for being hard nosed and, and, and pillars of a scrum. So they're three of the positions that we've added to, to kind of add some depth and, and experience to, to our team. And uh, I think just the experience that those players are going to bring, some of the experience that the younger guys or the inexperienced guys learnt from the short season this year will ultimately make us, you know, hopefully we've learned from those mistakes because two of the three losses came down to silly errors, inexperience, um, kind of maybe deer in the headlight type scenarios where guys weren't really used to that kind of pressure of, okay, professional rugby on TV, under the lights, um, and what they might've got away with in club footy, um, you can't get away with it at, at professional level. So um, we were, what, one and five, I think, before the break, two of the losses by, by a late score or, or, you know, a late decision. And that was the frustrating thing because we were putting it together. We, you know, we had a couple of bad performances where we, did, you know, we were nowhere near winning or close to winning, which you know, we learned from. And then we put together some, some better halves of rugby. So, um, yeah, next year, I think what, I mean, yeah, it's just the experience we learned from the short season plus adding these guys to, to the roster is really going to help us put together that complete 80-minute performance and, and get some wins on the board. You know, I, I, I can't help but think that every game, we, you know, the first game of every season we've won and we've looked really good and then we've gone on a losing streak for four to five games or six games or however long it is. So I mentally need to get out of that mind for maybe, you know, maybe there's some uh, match fixing going on and we lose that first game to kind of put us on a different trajectory. But... Um, yeah, with, with, with Paul and then obviously Ash Jones' expertise as S&C, uh, we've started construction on a performance centre at Aviva Stadium. So we're going to have everything on site next year with the gym, the practice fields, the game fields, change rooms, team rooms, um, you know, providing the environment that not many teams are afforded in the MLR um, and something that should really help us you know, spring into the season, even though we might be starting 
you know, hopefully starting on time, um, but be ready to go and, and kind of pick up where we left off. I know we're on a bit of a losing streak, but we were really, really close to, to smashing some teams. And I spoke to Paul last night and, you know, he's, he keeps telling me like, you know, New England are lucky the season got cancelled because he felt we were going to put on a, a display against them on that, that weekend that got cancelled. So um, I'm excited. Um, and yeah, I mean, this is three years of hard work and next year is probably going to be the biggest of the three as it gets bigger and bigger and it's going to be an exciting year for everyone. Yeah, it, uh, it, it, we touched on this with Paul as well. It was, it was a feeling as though there were new processes, new philosophies coming in. It's always difficult. And they were just starting to kind of sink in right, throughout the squad. My question was, throughout that process, right, through that, you know, you outbeat Colorado round one, heartbreaker in Vegas, you know, realistically looking at it, you were closer to being four and one than you were being one and four with a couple of bounce of ball, a couple of decisions. Pete and I did the New York game. I mean, yep. you ran into an a incredibly strong wind down there that you know, kind of changed the game a little bit more in the favour of New York. So how was the culture in the team, though? Like, how, what were you doing and what were the, the senior guys, you know, Ruzi and, and the guys up front doing to kind of keep things positive and upbeat when a lot of the young guys, it's pretty easy to drop your head. Uh, on the back of a couple of losses. Yeah, I think culturally we had a great we had a great team. We had a great setup. We had a great change room. It was the first year where we were full time. Turn up in the morning. We're in the change rooms. We got music playing. We got the coffee machine on. Uh, guys are doing rehab, prehab. Jokes are flying. Um, all the players, bar two or three of us, lived live in in an apartment complex. So they're either with with a guy with their partners, um, you know, two bedroom or one bedroom, whatever it might be. So the players had everything they they needed to just to focus on rugby. So they were able to relax a little bit around that, not having to worry about driving across town in Houston traffic or bunking up with three other guys in a, in a one bedroom place or, or whatever it might've been. So culturally and, and the relationship we all had with each other was, it was great. Asaya was a driving force on that. And, and early on in the season, you know, he got the boys together and just said, listen, if there's something that's bothering you with one of the players, with a teammate, or you think you've done something to offend someone, this is a forum. Open up, apologize, and that was in that was in a in the locker room before training one day, just the players, and and I think that really kind of helped everyone relax, get some things off their chest, and and just kind of realize that yeah, we're, we're teammates, we're brothers, we're here to you know to win and play footy and have fun. So um, we took the losses hard, and we we enjoyed the wins um, really you know together. So that was an important thing for us and. I think we had a really strong group and we'll continue to have a strong group next year and, and build on the foundations that we started. Beautiful. Hey, you ready to do some news? We're going to go around the grounds. I want to get your thoughts on some of the signings outside of Houston. Obviously, yep. the three you've named, uh, add into that Tiana Rasmus as well, who comes over from yep. Austin. Not bad hooker to pick up there too from yep. uh, the Gilgroni. So, but news coming out of Austin, Zinzan, Elon Puddock and Mason Pedersen added to the Eagles pool. So, how close are you to eligibility, Sam? I am uh, part of that pool too, from what I believe. Um, so, well, been, congrat- there you go, hot off the presses. Yeah, hot off the press. Congrats, breaking, buddy. More breaking news. Um, yeah, so I, my eligibility came up at the end of July. Uh, so that was, I've been here, you know, three and a half years now. But for the time I was legally uh, allowed to work and, and whatnot was was late July of 2017. So. My three years is up um, and was, you know, looking forward to hopefully being in the squad or the mix, you know, for the ARC this year, which would have been something special. And 
that's definitely a goal of mine over the next, you know, 12 to 18 months is to, is to get a cap and to, you know, help the Eagles get to where they know, you know everyone knows they can be. Um, so I've got a good relationship with Gary. Um, you know, I need to catch up with him and kind of work out what it, you know, whether he does see a role for me and, and what his plan is for me. But, um, you know, I'm still, I still feel like I've got a lot left in the tank and a lot to add and whether it's bringing up, you know, some shedding some experience to the younger guys or, or just adding some experience to, to the group and what I've learned across my years of playing, then if I can help them get better, then that's a job done for me. Um, but Mason and Zinn, obviously, you know, great players, great blokes, um, heartbeat of the Austin teams for the last four or five years. So good to see them sticking in Austin and, you know, hopefully see them on the, in the Eagles shirt in the next 12 yeah. months. Anyone else from Houston in the pool, mate, that you can, uh, you know about uh, yet? No, I don't think so. Not that, uh, I mean, there's what about a couple Val, that, Val Lilo. He get Val, a shot? Val, I think, I think Val surprised everyone coming back from a long injury layoff. Um, didn't surprise, you know, I played with Val up in Seattle when I first moved over here and he was a talented, talented rugby player, uh, you know, strong, agile and, and basically, you know, has the skills of an inside back as opposed to having the skills of a prop. So, um, again, I think the season getting cut short didn't do Val any favours in, in putting his name, you know, in that mix-up. And it won't be long before he is up there again and, and garnering the attention of the selectors. Pete, anyone you've heard get in that pool? It hasn't been publicly named yet, but obviously a few of the teams getting on the front foot. I think, I think it's going to be... Um... You know, to me, the interesting thing is uh, the extension of the eligibility window for three years, which um, World Rugby moved to the end of, it was supposed to be the end of this year, but I think they've moved to the end of 2021, which gives, um, like, which could have a big impact on a number of MLR players that came here over for the first season. Uh, mm -hmm. So lots of, lots of moving parts. And then the question really is going to be, when does international rugby start again? And part of that, like, you know, we've, we heard the news of, um, looks like the South African Pro 14 teams are going are to pull out because travel. Like, when are you going to be able to travel again? You know, so, so I think that there's been some um, interesting, uh, interesting challenges um, around some of, the, uh, um, uh, some, some of this international eligibility. Like, you know, I think even, there's even been some talk that maybe Canada and the U.S. should just schedule a test like somewhere that they can play because then they can capture those players before that window closes. So, you know, I, I, I think, I think we're probably a year away, maybe a little bit less, but you know, I, I think next year's ARC might be the first time that we get to see players like Sam strut their stuff for the Eagles. Yeah. Can't wait. Can't wait. Another big news is uh, Dion Mike Sell. Uh, he goes to Carcassonne or Carcass, which is mild stomping ground in France. So, He'll head over to, I believe, there in the Pro D2, Pete, correct? They are. They are. And, and, one of, and, and let's be honest, one of the more spectacular places um, that you can visit. It's a walled city, right? So, call me, buddy. I'll give you all the hookups. They call me the King of Carcassonne. <laughs> I, uh, I ran that town, kind of. Actually, <laughs> actually, we'll digress because I actually almost got arrested there one night. So I Just one the, night? Hold it. Just, just one night? Well, almost, probably should have got me a few other nights, but the one night they got me, it was uh, pushing over rubbish bins. I was in a, in a foul mood and I was pushing over rubbish bins. Next thing you know, there were blue and red lights flashing all around the square. And I'm like, oh, I wonder what's happening here. That's a lot of police. And then they screeched in front of me. I'm like, 
oh my God, it must be happening right behind me. And I didn't even realize <laughs> it was me. So before I knew I was in the back of the, back of the police car and I, they made me go pick up the bins. And uh, I had to walk home. Had to walk you home. played rugby league. You played rugby league growing up, didn't you? That's I mean, that's that's, that's a, that does explain a lot. Thanks, man. <laughs> but yeah, not so, not a fun so, conversation the next morning in the president's office of the so, club explaining why uh, I shouldn't be sent home. Well, Dan, I know one of your biggest regrets about your time in Cockazone is that you didn't really become fluent in French, right? No, I, I wasted my time at the back of the classroom talking English with the other Kiwis and Australians and. So, so, so for Dion, if he's listening, make sure you take this opportunity. Study, buddy. Yep. Study, study, buddy. Well, he, Dion, he spent uh, before he joined us to, midway through last season. He was actually he was at Clermont with their with their right, academy. So, so academy. he has some he has some experience hey, yes, out there. Uh, so I think his French is actually okay. Yeah, who's, who, who is the yeah, well. captain of France? That was like to somebody. You know, it's it, it's France. We speak French. And it was Sebastian Chabal from the media. Yeah, yeah they asked him a question and he wouldn't answer it because it was in English. And he goes, the game was in, I believe it was in Paris and it was an English, go figure, another Pommy making, you know, mocking a culture, no respect. Yeah. And he goes, we're in, we're in France, we speak I, French. So, uh, I, I, I spent um, some time with Toulon, kind of like doing some shadow coaching um, when, you know, their two fly halves were... Um, Johnny Wilkinson and Freddie Michelak. And it was really an amazing opportunity and uh, to, to spend some, some time there. And it was, um, it was very strange because the, the, everything was half English, half French, depending on who the coaches were talking to. <laughs> so they would switch from French to English, literally in mid-sentence, when they realized that whoever was receiving it was like, but like people like Johnny Wilkinson, I mean, that guy can speak French, right? I mean, he would talk to his teammates in French. I think like when, when you get those opportunities that rugby affords you, you want to embrace them. Yeah, it was, a, that was a, a remarkable few days. French are uh, great people. Uh, I, I spent a lot of time there. So they like, if you speak French, they really appreciate it. If you don't, they get like very offended. Yeah, I will tell you though, it is you sit in it's uh, the birthplace of democracy, and they've embraced that. So you would sit in a team meeting before training; it could last up to two hours because everyone in the room wanted to say their piece. I mean, the guy who would cut the oranges would get up in the in the middle of the group, and he would start talking, and it was all French. So I, I, we didn't have the Johnny Wilkinsons of the world. So I would sit there, and I think I must have counted how many sprinkler heads. The five sprinkler heads were in the locker room a hundred times, but all of a sudden you'd hear your name. You quickly look up and you're like, oh my God, they're talking. You'd find someone who's bilingual. What, what, wait, what are they saying? What are they saying? Oh, no, no, you're good. Don't worry, don't worry. That was a good thing. And then all of a sudden, someone who spoke both would get all fired up and then you knew it was something bad. So it was a great experience. And Dion, this is the whole podcast become about you going to France. <laughs> Have fun over there, buddy. You'll uh, do well. So that's, that's a big loss for New England though, Pete, because he was a genuine X factor for them, a real good finisher for, for the Free Jacks. He was, but I mean, it looks like New England's doing a pretty big overhaul of their squad. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of new players that are coming in, real quality players. Um, so it's going to be a different team, new coach, right? So it's going to be a different team than the team that we saw um, in, in this last abbreviated season. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, what their team, team looks like. But I think, you know, up, you know, when rugby gives you the opportunity to go somewhere else, you know, you, you, should, uh, you should grab it. 
Yeah, we'll just jump through some re-signings real quick, Austin. Uh, Marcello Torrealba, uh, you know him from the, uh, the Austin B. Houston Golf. Yeah. You had recently, Sammy. Uh, good, good little number nine that they bring back. So what was yeah, it like? Yeah, quality, to obviously quality play player. Man. I mean, he's, he's, uh, he's their top point scorer, I think, all time for, for Austin. Um, he's got a really good relationship with Will Maggie. I know they play golf at least nine times a week. So you know, in terms of having a 9-10 combination, you're... Uh, you can't get much closer than that. So it's super important to have good relationships with your halves. And, yeah. And, and, how, and how good a golfer is he? That's, that's what we really were like. So he's, he's, uh, he's very good. He's, I think, so we got, we got absolutely stitched up when we played them in this tournament. So I don't have a, an official handicap, but it's probably somewhere between, let's say, 18 and 24. Will, I think, at the moment is playing off three. Mick the Wiles off about two and a half. And I think Sello's off about six or five and a half. So <laughs> they turned up... Um, I was like, this is unfair. Yeah, oh, massively. So, fortunately, we've had to postpone the second leg up in Austin, uh, probably now until later in the year when, when play resumes. Um, so, it gives us time to practice. And, and you know, I think uh, we announced Rob Povey is uh, joining us. We've announced yep. on social. So, that's, that's known to everyone. Rob plays a bit of golf. So, he's asked a couple of times if we can play golf. So, we might be acquiring some... Uh, is, is that is, like? Are you talking to JT and to Paul when you're like, look, look, guys, like we, we now add it to the CVs. We're like, okay, what's your handicap? <laughs> that, yeah, that's right. Just add it to the interview. Can uh, Brooks Kepka play rugby? Looks like he could probably handle himself, all right. I'd take Bryson. I think over Brooks when you yeah, Bryson, Bryson is, yeah, Bryson is uh, he's a he's a beast. But um, there you go, Brooks, Bryson, DJ, reach out to Sammy. There's your foursome, and you just get to yeah. you can putt. That's usually how it is in those best balls for uh, those guys. I've seen some from, yeah, around the fringes. Putting let me down. Like, here it, nah, it's fine. All right. Old Glory, re-sign Mike uh, DeBoulis. Uh, Pete, Penn State guy. Didn't get a lot of time this year, but he was playing behind uh, Jason Robertson up there and obviously a great guy to learn from. But Old Glory sees something in Mike to keep him locked up long term. Yeah, I mean, I think Mike's, you know, I think he was on the bench, but you're right. Um, I thought... Uh, um, both the nine ten partnership of uh, DC, I thought, was probably the best in in the league. Maybe other than Houston, Sam, your nine ten partnership was also also very strong. Um, but I, but I think you know this is one of the challenges that that you see of some of these young players. You know, especially when you've got an experienced ten in front of them. Like, how do you give them time? Every game counts. Every game's competitive. And so I, I you know what I hope is that we'll see someone like Mike maybe. Um, you know, this four things open up the opportunity for um, Old Glory to use their um, Scottish Rugby Union contact, get him over to Scotland, see if he can play some men's rugby over there um, at club level playing 10, because it's gonna, it's hard to develop as a 10 if you're not playing, right? And so, I'd, I'd, look, I'd compare it to, uh, so Kieran Farmer, obviously one of our younger players was here from year one, straight out of high school, basically, and joined our squad. Didn't get a lot of opportunity, played 10 in high school, um, and then he would be, in my opinion, our breakout player of the year, you know, alongside probably Val Lilo. Um, he played on the wing, but, you know, he's definitely learnt the first two and a half years of the MLR and, and put all that together. And, you know, he's fast, he's strong. You know, he showed against Austin and I think New York. I think it was New York, actually, where he chased down Hunko and then made some good tackles, some good runs and, and some, you know, some athleticism, which we knew he had. It was just a matter of him realising that he can mix it with, uh, with the best and, you know, hopefully the same for, for Mike. Uh, they call him chicken, I think, don't they? So, um, 
you know, I think, yeah, he's got a big future, but, but Pete, as you say, getting the experience maybe overseas playing National One or, or Premier League club footy in Scotland will, will do him the world of good for sure. Yeah, it's, uh, it'll, it'll be a big year for Kieran, I think. And obviously, he's got a, a good guy to learn from there in uh, Devet Roos. Just kidding, Sammy. Just kidding. How was how was Roosie? I haven't heard from Roosie. Is he doing good? Let's just yeah. jump off Ru- top, top topic again. Roosie, uh, he decided to stick around Houston, so he didn't go back to Australia. So he's uh, he's still been in town. Um, staying busy, I think. I don't know what he's up to. Um, with all the COVID and the lockdown and social distancing, I've, I've seen a little bit of him. Um, and I think I don't think we got to see the best of him on the field by, by any stretch. Um, you know, he's a lively halfback, and I think uh, you know you compared us to the, the partnership at DC, and I think that's pretty accurate. Despite Jace probably being a lot faster and a fair bit more agile than myself, <laughs> um, the just the ability to get up. You know, halfbacks are great at doing it, but getting under the skin of the opposition and then really driving the forwards around the park, and and he raised this pace of play for us, which I think is what we needed to play. You know, that fast fast play and trying to keep teams on the back foot as often as possible. So, um, you know, excited to see Ruzi year two, basically, uh, and, and pick up where, where he left off and where we left off and, and yeah, demonstrate his prowess and expertise. Good stuff, Pete. Anything else for Sam before we let him go? I'm going to wrap it up. No, I don't, no um, nice hair, Sam. Thank you. I actually oh, shaved oh, today oh, just for you guys and did my hair. So yeah, Becca. it doesn't happen often. Becca's good. She's uh She's working away. She's a work from home woman now. So, uh, yeah, I don't, I, I don't see a lot of her during the week, which is a good thing. She's always on calls or, or doing other stuff. So, um, yeah, she's great. She's obviously missing rugby as much as I am and being able to yell abuse from the stands and heckle you, Dan. So, so Sam, <laughs> in, in, in this longest off-season ever, right, what's, your, what's your schedule? Like, how often to the gym? I know I've seen, seen some videos of you kicking, like what's yep. the, like, like what, what does your weekly schedule look like? Cause you know, it's, it's an important off season for you because it's going to be one of these times when like you want to make, you actually get a chance to really like get healthy. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think last year, last year was quite a long off season. We finished June and then preseason didn't start until December. So um, yeah, I've been afforded the recovery, recovery time, you know, in the MLR that you probably wouldn't get in Australia or Europe in between seasons, you normally get four weeks off through June and then you're back in for July starting preseason. So um, this summer, and I guess probably the last six or eight weeks, I've done more kicking than I've probably done in my career. So um, I became friends with an Australian guy here in Houston. He was the punter for UH, uh, the Cougs, graduated last year, had a really good year. He was runner-up in the Ray Guy Award, which is the, the best punter, I think, in the college football. Um, and he's basically got convinced by his agent to stick around and, and try pre-agency and try and get a, a trial at, at some NFL team. So he was resigned to the fact he was going to go home and start his life. He got married in March. His wife was back in Melbourne. Um, but the season he had, it was silly if he, if he went back and didn't, didn't sort of check what was behind those doors that were slightly open for him. Uh, so COVID obviously ruined his preparations and he would have tried out for three or four teams. But the lack of availability of field space in Houston meant that he had nowhere to punt. UH was closed to anyone but students. Um, so I had him down at Aviva Stadium two or three times a week um, trying a long snap for him. I wasn't very good at it, so it became a rugby pass instead. But uh, that, that gave me a chance to, to continue kicking and, and to stay in shape, really. So out of hand, off the tee, um, I think I've probably, you know, 
spent yeah spent more time on it than I would have normally or I have before. So that's been a big part of my routine. Uh, accessibility to a gym has been pretty scarce in Houston. I'm not too keen to go into the Globo gyms and and you know mingle with the the rest of the population. So trying to get in sessions as and where I can. You know we've got a small setup at the stadium, but 95 degrees with humidity through the roof makes it tricky to to work out in Houston any time of the day. Um, but yeah, getting over some of the niggles and just letting the body recover has been super important and super <laughs> fortunate for me. Um, and then, yeah, that's, that's my routine isn't really set in stone. It, it sort of varies, you know, week to week. I'll go into the office and, and work with JT and the team in there and get some stuff done and then go down and kick, um, you know, two or three times if I can. Um, I was fortunate enough to have Connor Mooneyham come down last Friday. Uh, so he's based up North of Houston in Magnolia. Um, he's, uh, yeah, you know, bright future and I thought mate you need to come down and have a kick have a run around uh, I know you play for the opposition the jackals but if I can help him get better and and you know increase his I guess performance in his opening season then you know that's what we're here for and using those opportunities and you know the fortunate to have Aviva open to us anytime is, is great so we can we can do the things like that um, but yeah staying in shape and you know just ready for, for whatever's going to come my way in the next six, six months so when you play the jackals yeah. Connor's playing on the wing or fullback. Do you know yep. what kick to put up now? What what he doesn't like? Yeah, I was going to say yeah. this kick works both ways, right? <laughs> a little bit. I think uh, we got the we got the end of daylight basically on Friday night, so we hadn't turned the lights on at the field. Which I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. He probably would have caught all the bombs I put up if it was if it was light. But um, you know, really excited to see you know the likes of of him and the other rookies that came through the draft, see what they can do, and hopefully see them on the field um, throughout the season regularly. And then, uh, yeah, it's, I mean, it's great think, for the league. It's great for college yeah. footy. I think you'll see Connor. I think he's like MLR. He's MLR ready. I mean, um, there weren't that like that many of the college drafted kids, but he's a mature kid, and I think the um, Atlanta will find a way to use him. He was moving quite well. Or, or Dallas even uh, might find a way to use him. Like Dallas. Dallas. <laughs> yeah. the, uh, I don't know if you guys will probably get him on the show at some, some stage. but uh, He's been on. He came on the show. He's a great yeah. kid. Obviously, cool. Sam's, Sam's a strong listener of MLR kickoff. Well, yeah. I mean, I know he was on after the draft, but since then he got married, right? Or whatever happened there. And he was saying that he rolled his ankle on his wedding day playing touch with the boys. Uh, so <laughs> he had... Uh, his wife was there on Friday, came down with him, was strapping up his ankles. So he's got a good support team behind him. And um, good to see he's having some fun off the field. I too. think if you ask a lot of wives, ours included, if the worst thing that happens on our wedding day is you roll your ankle, they would take that every day. Because I'm sure there's some wives out there who've done a lot or seen a lot worse on their wedding days from their uh, future husbands. So for sure, for sure. Well, big guy, always great having you on the show. I'm, I keep petitioning to make you the regular third member here, but the other two keep shutting down. Hold it, let's be honest. You keep, you keep petitioning to make him the regular <laughs> second member. Let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> I told Heels, I said, how about you How about you recruit a fly half so I can get Sam stuck in a box with me every weekend so he can't run away from me. And uh, hey, he was talking about restraining orders up. or you know, <laughs> something like that. But I don't know. We, we can work through that. But... Great having you on the show, buddy. Stay safe. I hope that the Hurricanes nice. stay away and don't ruin the goal for you. But uh, great having you on the show, as always. And good luck in Houston. And good luck with the Eagles, too, now. That's exciting news yeah. for you. That's no, fun talking to you guys. I appreciate it. And, and I'm and open any time to any conversation. Dan, unfortunately, you have my number, so use it sparingly, please. And, uh, <laughs> I'm sure we'll, uh, we'll be in touch soon. soon. 
Absolutely. That wraps up for episode 66 for Pete Steinberg, Sam Windsor, our producer, Aaron Casher. I'm Dan Power. This has been the MLR Kickoff.